So as we step into our scripture today, I kind of want to set the context of the scripture and also just let you know a little bit about who I am. I'm Candy Easley from uh, Bethany kind of wide. I oversee um, ministries that we share across Bethany, like missions and wilderness. And so it's so exciting to be here with you at West. I have been here before. In fact, I have visited, um, I know Carissa was, was anybody else I've worshipped in the community center back when... We weren't here, so there you go. So we have a little West history um, before the rest of you join this community, but so glad to be here together today. And we are starting a new sermon series this week in 1 Peter, and it really is 1 Peter. So you might want to take out, there's Bibles in those pews, and I'm going to try to cover essentially a whole chapter of Scripture, and you might want to be looking at it. That would be helpful. But the um, passage that we're going to focus on and get started with is 1 Peter. 1 starting in verse 13 and it says this yes it does therefore so when we are whenever there's a therefore it means there was a lot going ahead so we're going to summarize all that in just a minute but here's the point therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you um, for the person of Peter. We thank you for his story. We thank you that he wrote a book. We thank you that your word comes alive to us. And so we ask that we would come alive to your presence today, to this living hope that you bring to us through Jesus. Uh, Be present with us right now as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. So just yesterday, my family was gathered in San Francisco to say goodbye to my uncle. And in our family, unfortunately, over the past five months, we've had three deaths. And so we were back on this same ground in the same cemetery where we had just buried my aunt five months ago. And in that cemetery, I have three generations that are there. So we were standing and sitting on this plot of land where my Armenian grandparents and Armenian great-grandparents have their headstones, and my mother as well. And it's a deep moment, like sitting there in that sense of history. And the person we're saying goodbye to was a very kind of crotchety person, very successful, but also a person who was easily angered, a person who said things that he often regretted, a person who we wished would have confessed more that things were his fault when business decisions were made that went bad in our family business. And I had the challenge of being the pastor who's trying to kind of put a perspective together about the goodness of this man's life. And it was a challenge. My dad helped me when he said, your uncle used to take you for walks in the field. I was like, he did? I had no idea. Well, your uncle is the one who, and I do remember this, whenever he uh, earned a little extra money, when there was like a bonus or he had a garage sale, he used to give out, like first it was like dollar bills, and then I remember he actually gave my son, uh, he shook his hand one time and slipped him a $100 bill. And my son was like, oh my gosh, this is the best person I've ever known. We're looking at a character like that today in the book of First Peter. 
When we think of the name Peter from scripture, probably things come to mind like his denial of Jesus. Peter says, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me. Peter is, is um, the first person that Jesus, in a complimentary way, when he says, who do people say that, that I am? You're Jesus. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh-oh. And Jesus responds, you're the rock on whom I'll build my church. Like, that's a time when Jesus gives Peter huge like kudos. Another time... Peter says to Jesus, you can't go to Jerusalem and suffer. And Jesus responds to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So there's the good and the bad in this character of Peter. And we think of him, I I would think, we think of him as a sort of impetuous, he's the first one to get out of the boat and start walking on water and then have doubts and sink. Like he's he's a man of action. And he has a, a reputation of being like first one out, first one on. But today, we're going to look at a book that he wrote, and we're starting this series, about 30 years after those stories were happened. Now, did he mellow? Did he get wiser? No, he became essentially a great theologian who is describing not only what he saw and experienced, but what Jesus had hopes for what the church would become. So as we look at this book, we are seeing Peter becoming the rock the, one, the foundation upon whom the church of Jesus will be built. So Peter starts this way, and if you did open up your Bible, you'll see we're right now in verse 1 of 1 Peter. He just says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So there, it is not much disputed that he actually wrote this book. And then he says this, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace to you. What a paragraph. Like, this opens this way because the Christians are scattered. They're scattered to all different places. And, and this is where the church is now. It's, it's not just those who experienced right here in Jerusalem, it's, it's going everywhere. And Peter's making a point of that. He's saying, like, wherever you land. And they are scattering partially because of the context that they're living in. Christians are being persecuted, and, and they're trying to figure out uh, where to go, how to be safe. Then he says, you've been chosen, like before the beginning of time, by God the Father. He mentions Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're starting to see this, like, Trinitarian view of God. And then what does he wish for them? Grace and peace. So if you want to see like the gospel in miniature, there, there it is. Just as Peter starts that, that first chapter of his book. So today as we look at this first section, we're not going to read every verse of the chapter, but I'm going to highlight some things. I like to do it in the way of thinking of past, present, and future. But we're going to kind of do those in this order. We're going to talk about past, and then we're going to talk about future, and then we're going to talk about the present. So what struck me as I was reading this chapter and studying this chapter is that Peter is really focused on time and on this sense of eternity. 
Um, and I want to walk us through that a little bit. When we see, as I mentioned in verse 2, he mentions this idea that you have been chosen, that God is for you, that God has chosen to enter into time in the person of Jesus. God's come from beyond time. So that's kind of the past of the gospel, if you will. Peter's addressing this community, they're exiled, they're suffering, and he reminds them of past events, both events that he has experienced and they have experienced, but then he also mentions this idea of like God who is beyond time. And this is, we're getting into kind of deep mystery here about eternity. And this is what we see. In verse 3, Peter reminds his readers that they have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, Peter saw, actually saw Jesus crucified, dead, and buried. And then he saw the empty tomb. And he saw the risen Jesus in person on multiple occasions. So he personally has this past. And then in verse 10, he goes back further in time to the Old Testament prophets who prophesied that there would be suffering and there would be glory and that salvation would come through the Messiah to God's people. And then in verse 18, he describes that this salvation is in being ransomed. It's like because of Jesus, something happens for us. It's, it's the language that's used, the, it's the language of slavery. Like because Jesus paid this price... We now belong to God. And just using that word slavery and and thinking about it, it, of course, reminds me of the history of our own nation and the present around the world. Do you know that statistics say there are over 40 million people who are slaves today? That three-quarters of those people are women and children? Most of these are girls who have been married before the age of 18. But they're also people who have the tasks of working in things like tech, or textiles, or steel, or seafood. They're people from whose lives we still benefit today. But when we are studying this idea that we've been bought with a price, can we feel that? God wants us to be so much part of who he is and what he's doing in the world. It's like we're part of his good work, if you will. We're part of his good ownership. So these past events center in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they're this first segment of the timeline of faith. But it gets even better. Peter takes his readers back to before time, He refers to this idea of election and foreknowledge of God. Now, I do have a Presbyterian background, so you might get nervous that I'm going super Calvinist on you, but here's the idea. These terms can be understood as the mindset of God. God is choosing from before eternity that people would belong to him, that we wouldn't be separated from him. We would be part of his good purpose in the world. So in verses 1 and 2, when when Peter refers to this, he's not saying, he's not talking about just our choice. He's talking about God's choice. And Peter then goes on to describe this further in verse 20. He says, Christ and his sacrifice on the cross was foreknown. It's that same word, before the foundation of the world. So God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit had the intention 
that Jesus would be sent to earth, that people would be claimed in the name of Jesus. So we're in really deep waters here, and it's like hard for my mind to grasp how the mind of God both knows what is to come and who belongs to him, and yet in that time, he's for all people. He wants all people to belong to him. Jeremiah says this, God loves us with an everlasting love. There was never a time that God did not love you. There was never a time. There was never a time in God's economy that God wasn't for you. From the beginning of time, he calls you the beloved. He wants you in his family. So Peter, uh, Paul writes the same thing in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 1, God chose us in Christ. When? Before the foundation of the world. How can it be that there is this God in eternity and yet in, in the present who is for us, who is with us? So Peter is seeking to encourage the Christians back then and today. Back then, they were scattered. He's having them look back in time. They're going through a really rough time. But he's saying, remember, remember the past. Remember eternity is on your side. And I wonder if it's true for us when we think about our own past. Can we remember that even in the hardest of times, God is at work. God wants to work a good purpose. When I think of that uncle that we buried, we eventually got out some pictures and we looked at him as a young man, like back in the 60s, he had these incredible, he died when he was about 92, he had these incredible sideburns and uh, he was wearing like uh, white polyester pants with a yellow shirt and he thought he looked pretty cool. We, we looked at different cars that he had bought and sold. We saw him as a boy scout. And think about a kid who's eight and who he became. Sometimes this is a time, when we talk about the past, it carries with a, a burden. And right as we come to our time of uh, communion in just a bit, that might be a time where there's something in your past that you're ready to lay down. And, and acknowledge that God wants to do a new thing. That God wants to give you a new future. And I wonder if that was even the case for Peter. That there were some of those moments he would have liked to have relived. But he couldn't go back and redo them. But he could invite God into them. He could invite God to uh, work in him. To will and to work out God's good purposes. So that's this idea of the past. And then I want to jump to the idea of the future. In verse 4, Peter refers this way. Um, he says, we, you have, um, through the resurrection of, the, of Christ from the dead, you've been born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's amazing. So an inheritance is something that's going to happen in the future. Because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we have a future inheritance that, that eternity in which God made us, uh, chose us as the beloved is a, a future inheritance where we'll be united with God. And Peter's pointing this out. Uh, these concepts, again, are, are kind of mind-blowing. So uh, Peter says that read, uh, we are to set our hope 
on this grace that will be brought to us, this, this full revelation of Christ. The Apostle Paul liked to refer to this end point as like the day, the day of Jesus' return, the moment. In fact, the New Testament here speaks with one voice. While, as with Peter's first century readers, this life can be filled with trials and temptations and suffering and injustice, the long shadow of the valley of death, a day is coming. There is a day coming. As assuredly as Jesus' resurrection from the dead, when Christ shall return. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess. And there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There will be a new Jerusalem when God himself will be with his people. And he will wipe away every tear. And death shall be no more, neither mourning, nor crying, nor pain. And all things will be made new. That day's coming. That's our inheritance We're not making it happen. Jesus is making it happen. And that day is is somehow to affect our life today. In 2018, when the evangelist Billy Graham died, he was 99 years old. And some of you may have remembered how, just how famous Billy Graham was. He preached the gospel all over the world, and he did so without any known, at least, scandal, impropriety, financial uh, doubts. And I have heard Billy Graham preach, but he used to say that he was a person of hope because he read the last pages of the Bible. That in the end, God and the kingdom are victorious. So we are invited into this hope that, that is our inheritance in the future. So then, if we, now we've talked about the past, we've talked about the future, so what about the present? Peter now addresses the present. Let's remember that his hearers were suffering, they were persecuted. He's going to address their current suffering, but he's gonna take this God-centered, this faith approach So in verse 3, he reminds them, they've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So they are to be a people of hope. And that's where I'd like to really focus us today. People of hope. What would it mean for you to be a person of hope? What circumstances are you facing where you're tempted to be anything but hopeful? When I was thinking about my uncle's life and thinking about the, the legacy that he left, I, I wondered if I kind of gave up on him too early in life. I thought he was a person who was really biased. I thought he was a person who was really self-oriented. I thought he was a person who, because he was raised Catholic and it was so strict, would really never come to know God in a personal way. I kind of gave up hope. Do you have longings? Do you have people in your life with whom you've given up hope? What would it mean to invite hope into your present circumstance? If we turned to each other and said, what's the most difficult thing you're facing right now? It'd be a little tough. I'm not going to have you do that. You know, I'm a guest. You can't do things like that when you're a guest. But they're there, aren't they? Their fears, their concerns, their worries, their things that keep you up at night. 
If God were to do exceedingly abundantly, more than you could even ask or imagine in those situations, wouldn't that be an eternal hope? Wouldn't that be the sense of God's presence even in those circumstances? Doing for you, for me, what we can't do for ourselves. So Peter is pointing to God's people and saying, you are the hope of the world. You be hope. You carry this sense of the past that God is for us. You carry this sense of the future that we'll be united with God, that that there will be a day when hope does not disappoint. So in the present, we're invited to carry this, this living hope. I'm coming up on a trip that I'm going to start this week. I'm going on a backpack trip in the Wind River Wilderness of Wyoming. And I'm going with people who are over 35. I'm well over 35. And in order to help with the weight of the backpacks, we're going to have, I will have a half of a llama. So I'll have uh, panniers on one side of the llama, and then I think my pack's going to weigh 30 to 40 pounds. So I've been walking around Green Lake with um, 30 to 40 pounds of, like, exercise weights, and that's quite a lot, 30 to 40 pounds. Uh, I've begun putting out the clothing that I'm going to take on this backpack, and I'm, uh, like, measuring them in ounces. I've even heard of people who go backpacking who cut the end off their toothbrush because you just want to get down to the essentials. Peter, in this passage, is trying to get to the essentials of our faith. He's try- it's almost like Peter's building this little backpack, and I would encourage us that we need access to that kind of essential faith. We don't need to carry around like answers to every question. It's essentials only. So as we look at this sermon series of First Peter, it's like he's saying, hey, here's what's essential. Let's hear it again. This is the one thing I wanted you to carry. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So God's holiness, past, God's holiness, future, is made known to the world through us, through the way that we live, through the way that we're connected. As we come to a time of communion, I would invite you and invite our worship team up to think about what stands out to you, past, future, or present. Do you have doubts that that God is for you? Do you have doubts that in the end, all things will be made new? Do you have doubts that you could have a hope in this present moment? What might it look like to grab onto that hope? When I first came to Bethany, this idea of being people of hope was something that I had never really heard very much before. And so when I got my new computer, I actually named my computer People of Hope. So whenever it opens up, it says People of Hope. That's one of those little spiritual steps that I've taken to remind myself 
that I belong to a God who is going to make all things right, who's going to make all things new. Maybe there are other habits that you have. How many times do you have to set a new password? That's another opportunity to remind yourself of who you want to be. What do you want to type in every day? Maybe you want to put a post-it on your mirror or on your, the threshold of your door as you leave. What would it be like for you this week to carry the hope of God into all situations? So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and as we head into prayer, I'm going to offer you a moment of pause. There's a pastor that I really enjoy reading, um, Nadia Boltz-Weber, and she said, the most important part of the prayer is the pause, and I often just go right over the pause, because the pause is the moment to sort of say, here I am, God, here I am in this present moment, and here you are, Lord of all things. And I want to be in relationship with you. So let's pray. Gracious God, we do. Whoop, I didn't pause. Let's take a breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. So come, Holy Spirit. We invite you to give us a new view on our past. A view that says, even when things are going wrong, we belong to you. view that says that we might have spoken words we shouldn't have spoken. We confess that. We might not have said something when we ought to have. We confess that. And our God, we confess that we have done things and loved things and and set our mind on things that are not of you. We confess that. And our God, as we look to our own future, we ask that we would have your future in mind, that we would see people the way you see them, that we would love one another, that would see another person as a child of God, one who belongs to you. So we confess that we see others with our own eyes through our own experience. We ask that you give us the grace to see others as Christ in them. And our God, we give you great thanks that we don't earn our way to you, but that you come to us in the person of Jesus. We thank you that he gathered his disciples together and he said, I'll be with you always. So come, be present as we share this cup and this juice. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.